You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to Acts chapter 7. As we continue in our series of looking at um, the history of the church and how it is God's church who, who calls us to ministry, who sends us out to ministry, who empowers us for His ministry. It is His Word, His church that does that. Acts chapter 7, we're going to look at the story, the historical account of the first Christian martyr. Now this would be the first Christian martyr, but most definitely wouldn't be the last. From Stephen on to today, still happening today, thousands, hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of Christians have been martyred for their faith. Now, the reality is, is maybe many of us will never be martyred for our faith. I hope, I hope not. It could come quicker than any of us might want to believe. But just because we're safe here in West Texas, Eastern New Mexico, the United States doesn't mean that many of our brothers and sisters around the globe today are preaching, or teaching, or sitting underneath the teaching, opening up God's Word literally in fear of their life. What we see in the story of Stephen is how to stand strong uh, in the face of persecution. Stephen, our first the account of the first Christian martyr. We'll get there here in just a moment. One of our missionaries in India who is from India um, spent about five or six years here in the United States and, and uh, began to really like the food here in the United States, which I don't blame him. Last summer I had the opportunity to go to India, spend a couple of days with him. It was the last few days of our trip, and I had had all the rice I wanted to eat. And, uh, and so the conversation um, came up. You know, in India they have, you know, we have the term, we have the term sacred cows. In India, they have sacred cows. You following me? And I asked him about, because he, he had said we were driving, and, and uh, I was like, oh, watch out, there's a cow. He's like, absolutely. You do, you do not hit a cow here in India. I was like, is it like serious? Will something happen to you? He's like, listen, if you hit a person, a pedestrian going across the road, uh, you, if you are really kind, you take them to the hospital. The normal person is just going to say sorry and go on. But if you hit a cow, a mob will come out. And listen, there's cows all over the road. Everywhere we went, in the, in the, in the mega city of 11 million people to the rural little towns of a couple hundred people, there's, there's cows laying out on the road. And so he understood the term sacred cow, the reality of sacred cow. So we got to talking as I was trying to think of something else that's right. I asked him, I said, well, when you were in the United States, did you ever have the chance to eat a ribeye? And he said, I did. And I, I, I didn't know, you know, when you're on a mission trip, you're kind of treading on cultural, you know, boundaries. You're not sure how much you can ask. And so I, I, I wasn't sure if I could push, push it much further, but I said, I asked him, I was like, well, how, how did you like it? And he said, my stomach loved it, 
But my brain hated it. He grew up all of his life knowing that, that, that you're not supposed to eat cow. That that could be, before he became a Christian, that could be, the belief is, that could be a family member who passed away and was resurrected as, you know, a, 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 a sacred cow. And so he, he said, man, I, when, when I go back to the United States, he comes back once a year. God, when I'm speaking of many of you know him. When he comes back, he always tries to, to go and eat. He said, even a hamburger, my stomach loves it, but my brain hates it. You know, I believe there are sacred cows in the Christian faith today that, that we, 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 we would say verbally that, oh, no, I don't believe in that sacred cow, but, but really deep down in our mind, we we catch ourselves bowing down to those sacred cows. Stephen is going to do something absolutely incredible here in his sermon. We're going to look at and Acts chapter 7 is Stephen's sermon. Now it's about 52 verses. It's okay. I would love to go through every single verse, but I just can't. I, I, I would, seriously, I would love to do it, but I know that we would be here all day. Uh, and and uh, I would lose all of you, every single one of you, I'm quite certain. Probably even my wife would go and eat something. Uh, so we can't, we're not going to do that. We'll, we'll pick up a few of them. But here's what Stephen's going to do in his sermon. Stephen is going to reveal some sacred cows to the Pharisees that they, that they are hanging on to. And he is going to reveal them and then shatter them uh, to pieces. Acts chapter 7, look at verse... One, and let's pick it up. It, 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 it goes just right on the heels of last week. Stephen is standing in uh, the, a courtroom, if you will, the supreme court of the, of the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They're, they're there pummeling him with questions, giving him false accusations. And, and Stephen is standing there having to listen to all of this. And finally, the, the chief justice, if you will, gets everybody's attention, and he asks this question in verse 1. Are these things true? The high priest asked Stephen. Are the false accusations of blasphemy? They, they have said that, that Stephen is, is using blasphemous statements about, about God. And, and so he's saying, are these, are these accusations true? Well, of course we know that they are false. We looked at those, at those last week. Are these exaggerations that... that, uh, that, that that Jesus is going to tear down this temple and in three days He will re rebuild it. These, these misrepresentations, are these true? And that's the question. That's what sets Stephen on course to really preach an incredible sermon. Now I would encourage you, go back sometime this week and read every single word and go back through the Old Testament. He does an absolutely incredible job. But to prove his point, to prove his point, Stephen cites in verses 2 through 8 the case of Abraham. Let's just look at verse 2. Brothers and fathers. Here's, notice he says this, brothers. He's not talking to the Sadducees at that point, the, the high court. He's talking to all those who have gathered around. His fellow brothers in Christ. Sisters in Christ, fellow believers, that Jesus is the Messiah. He says his brothers, and then he says fathers, speaking to the high court. Listen, 
The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. So notice he's making the connection. Our father, my father, your father. He's making this familial connection here as being a fellow Jew. The God of glory, the Shekinah glory, the very presence of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. Now, Stephen knows his Bible. (laughs) He knows his Bible history. Stephen's sermon is 52 verses long. He reaches back and utilizes 2,000 years of history. He goes all the way back to Genesis through Malachi, and he covers every major theme. He talks about Abraham, he talks about Joseph, he talks about Moses, he goes all all the way to the kings of King David, and even the prophets. And here's Stephen, standing tall before his accusers. And what does Stephen do? He brings the theology of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, down on top of them. There are three beliefs that gave and i'm going to call these three sacred cows if you will if you're taking notes three sacred cows these three beliefs that 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 gave the pharisees a false confidence before god by believing in in these three sacred cows if you will they believe they have confidence to stand before god on their on their the day of their death or the day that god is going to take them home Here's their false confidence. Number one, on being residents of the promised land. They believed just by simply being residents in the promised land that God had shined His glory on them, that God had given His blessing to them, and so they now live in the promised land, so therefore they have to be right with God. That's number one. That's one sacred cow. Number two, having and obeying the law. They believe because they have been arbiters of the law, keepers of the law, that God's love is on them. God's glory is on them. And number three is they have the temple and they are... Uh, observing temple sacrifices. Stephen, he not only attacks these three sacred cows, he, he takes them by the horns and turns them on their back. The first sacred cow is this, the land. The first sacred cow is the land. According to false but very popular opinion, God gave special spiritual privileges to those living in the real estate of the promised land. That's what they believe. And Stephen is arguing, this is the text in verse 2, he's arguing this point. That No, 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 listen, verse 2, brothers and fathers, he replied, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, the very presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God appeared to Abraham, and he wasn't anywhere near the promised land. God reveals himself to Abraham. And so he's saying, no, listen, our Father whom you believe in and whom I believe in and whom we have read so much about, who we believe and trust that God loved and and God showed His favor on him. Listen, where did He show His favor? Not in the promised land. Oh, He did it in Mesopotamia. But Stephen makes a similar point in verses 4 and 5. Look at verse 4 and 5. 
Then he, being Abraham, he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this land in which you are now living. So he's, he's now bringing it forward 2,000 years. He moved to this land where you are now living. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. But he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. I want to tell you my, oh man, as I was studying, preparing for the sermon, I wanted to go back to every one of these Old Testament stories but literally we would be here for the rest of our life and we wouldn't be able to, to finish them but I want you to see the faithfulness of God and this is what Stephen is pointing out the point is this that God blessed Abraham even though he didn't yet occupy any property any land in the Holy Land listen the land is not the blessing and this is their sacred cow. This is what they are believing in. This is why this, this group of Pharisees who, who are the ones who crucified Jesus, they're the ones that, uh, that, that put uh, Peter and John in jail, then had them flogged and sent them out and said, don't ever speak the name of Jesus again. And, and here now they have Stephen in their courtroom. They, they do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're so blinded by their sacred cow. They're saying, wait a minute, we live in the promised land. God's glory is on us. We don't have to believe in this man named Jesus. That's what's going on. That's the point. And Stephen is saying this, the land is not the blessing. God has brought blessing on men before they ever entered through the promised land. Look at verses 9 through 16. Verses 9 through 16 is, is about Joseph and his brothers. It's the back, the back story is about Joseph and his brothers who, who sold him into slavery. Remember, he went into slavery and then he, he found favor in, uh, in Egypt. Look at verse 9. The patriarchs, that's the 12 brothers, became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. But watch this. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his troubles. Where was he? He was in Egypt, and the very presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, was with Joseph. And Joseph wasn't in the promised land. Keep on going. He gave him, God gave Joseph favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. Verse 11, Now a famine and great suffering came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors, notice the connection again, our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, Jacob was uh, Joseph's father. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors there the first time. The second time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. You remember the story. His brothers thought he was dead. And here his brother is. Here, here his, his brother is. He's living in the king's palace. He has all of these resources, all of this food. And Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Verse 14, Joseph invited his father Jacob and all of his relatives, 75 people in all, and Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died there. They were carried back to Shechem, that is a place in the promised land, and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. God showed his glory to Joseph all throughout his trial, all throughout his struggles. And he was never in the promised land. 
Stephen is saying, our ancestors were blessed by God. What what Satan meant for harm, God meant for good. God sent Joseph on ahead. God knew that a famine was going to come. God sent him on ahead so that he can provide for God's people. Over and over, this is what what Stephen is saying. He's making this point that the land is not the blessing. God blessed his people through Joseph in Egypt, and that really the only land that they owned was where their bodies were buried in the promised land. Stephen gives us another example, and this one could be what you would call a clinching example with Moses, and it's described in verses 17 through 36. God met and took care of Moses and his people. Where? Outside of the promised land. Moses was raised in Egypt. He matured in Midian. Um, his, his stepmom, if his adopted mom, if you will, was Pharaoh's daughter, the king of Egypt's daughter. He was commissioned near Mount Sinai, and God called that place. Do you remember on Mount Sinai where the, where the burning bush was at? God told Moses, take off your sandals because this is holy ground. The place where God met Moses wasn't the promised land, but God said it was holy ground. Listen, holy ground is wherever God meets His people. When I was 10 years old, standing in front of a dishwasher in the kitchen on Brook Hollow Avenue in Abilene, Texas, right there in front of the dishwasher, just to the left, was holy ground. You say, really? That's where I met Jesus. Right there. And that was holy ground. It was the place where I met Jesus for the very first time. And the sacred cow of these Pharisees, they're they're just believing. Man, we don't need to believe in this Jesus because we are standing on holy ground. We are in the promised land. And what is Joseph doing? He is just destroying all of these sacred cows. There's one, one sacred cow down. Two to go. Let's look at the other two. The the second one is this. The next sacred cow was the unbiblical exaltation of the law. Having a high view of the law. Believing that we have been given the law. We're executioners of the law. We can keep the law. And if you keep the law, then you are right with God. And Stephen's basic argument, built on Moses' words from Deuteronomy chapter 18, Verse 15, when, when Moses predicted that God would raise up for the Jews a prophet like me from your own people. Here's, here's Moses saying, like, he's saying this. No, no, listen, I, I've, by, by, by God, I have given you the law, but a prophet is coming, and it's not me. He's coming after me, and it's going to be someone of your own people. Listen, the Jews' hope of redemption was not in Moses' law, but in Jesus Himself. But listen, the Jews didn't, they didn't trust Moses. They didn't even really like Moses. And they didn't follow His law anyway. Look at verses 39. Acts chapter 7, verse 39 through 40. 
Here's Stephen saying this, our ancestors, and notice the connection again. He's saying our ancestors were unwilling to obey him, him being Moses. Instead, they pushed him aside, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. What's he talking about? Stephen is going back to the story of when they had been, they had been uh, uh, slaves in Egypt. They had been set free. They'd crossed the Red Sea. Now they're at the, at the bottom of the hill at Mount Sinai. They're waiting on Moses to come down. And Moses to them is taking forever and their hearts are turned back to slavery. They would rather go back to slavery than walk in the freedom that God is providing for them. That's what he's talking about. They pushed Moses aside and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Verse 40, they told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Notice notice the disdain for Moses. As for this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. No, no, listen. This is the Moses who brought you out of slavery. This is the Moses who led you through the Red Sea. This is the Moses who's been with you as you've been traveling through the desert. And they just push him aside. As for this Moses who, who led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. He's with God. And they've chosen to make their own gods and to follow them and to go back to their slavery. And here's Stephen just like a drumbeat. He's just laying this out before him, just destroying their sacred cows, if you will. The final sacred cow of the Pharisees was the temple. They believed the land was holy because it was a holy land and God had given it to them. They believed in the law that they could be right before God by keeping the law. And then the third was the temple. God, they would say, is surely with us because we have the temple. And Stephen answers this false security in verses 48 and 50, which is quoting Isaiah chapter 66. But look at chapter 7, verse 48 of Acts. But the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me? This is God speaking. This is, this is Stephen quoting from the prophet who is quoting from God. He's saying, I, I, I don't live in houses made by human hands. The earth is my footstool. You think that because you have the temple that that's where I reside? Because you have the temple, you think that you are right with me? And here's Stephen. He's just knocking away at these sacred cows. He goes on, verse 50, Did not my hand make all these things? Three cows down. Twelve hooves pawing, dancing in the air. And here's Stephen saying, Fathers, Sanhedrin, Pharisees, Sadducees, listeners, you think you are in because you possess the law, because you have a high view, or because you possess the land, because you have a high view of the law, and because you have the temple, but you are wrong. You are dead wrong. 
That's what Stephen is saying in all these 52 verses of chapter 7. You are wrong. And he meticulously points this out to them. But here's the question. This is what I struggled with in studying this because there is so much in each one of these stories, but he is pointing out something very specific. What does all this have to do with us today? And we see what it had to do with them. Stephen is tearing down their sacred cows, their, their false hope that they are standing right with God. Oh, what a tragedy it was going to be for some of them. We're assuming some of them came to faith in Jesus. But what a tragedy it was going to be for some of them that when they died and stood before God, God said to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Even though they lived in the land, even though they had a high view of the law, even though they had the temple, God is going to say to them and did say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. What does all this have to do with us today? Well, very similar. There are people all around us who will spend eternity in hell. Not because they've never heard the name of Jesus, but because they have rejected that Jesus Christ is the only way to God in heaven. It's not because they haven't heard His name. They've heard His name. They know things about Jesus. But they don't believe that He is the only way as it says in John chapter 14, verse 6. Follow along with me on the screen. Look at what it says. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Me. No matter how well you can keep the law, which you can't. No matter where you live, it doesn't matter. No matter if you have the temple or not, you are not going to spend eternity with God in heaven unless you come through me, Jesus Christ. And there are many today who will spend eternity in hell because they have rejected that. And you say, how? how? How are people rejecting that? Well, the 21st century sacred cows of our cultural Christianity aren't a whole lot different than the first century sacred cows. Listen, you can live in a Christian nation You can be born in a Christian home. You can be raised in a Christian community. You can go to a Christian church and still split the gates of hell wide open. And there are many who do not believe that. I live in a Christian nation. And thank God we do. I live in a Christian home. I I was raised by by Christian parents. And praise God for that. And I, I attend a Christian church Amen. That is awesome. But listen, you can do all of that. All of that can happen for you and you will still split the gates of hell wide open. Listen, God doesn't have any grandkids. Think about that for a second. God has no grandkids. You cannot inherit your faith. You might have been... Man, I'm going to tell you something. There wasn't anybody, in my opinion, any more godlier than my grandmother and my grandfather. But they could not give me a hand-me-down religion. They could read the Bible to me. They could pray over me. But there is nothing that they could do besides those things that would make me saved. My parents took me to church. They, they raised us in a godly home. But there still had to come a point where I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and say, man, this is great that I live in the United States. It's great that I live in the Bible Belt. It's great that I have godly parents and grandparents. But, but listen, I need to meet Jesus. And I did at 10 years old. Listen, you must 
be born again. You must be born again. How? By repenting from your sins. By asking God to forgive you of your sins. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what we must do. We can't, we can't as the first century uh, Pharisees believed, think that, man, I just, all of these, all of these things, I've, you know, I've grown up in a Christian community and I do Christian things. And you no, know, listen, you must accept Jesus Christ. You must be born again. Listen, morality is often another sacred cow. But listen, morality does not equate salvation. I believe hell will be filled with morally good people. Morality doesn't equal salvation. And a lot of times we see, you know, we see people that we work with or family members or our neighbors and we go, man, they're, they're, they're good people. They, they keep their, their yard clean, their, their house is nice, and, and they're, they're nice to me at work, and they, you know, they're, they're, just, they're good people. But listen, morality doesn't equal salvation. And we have to figure out how to have a conversation with people here in a cultural Christian culture where, where that equates morality with Christianity, but it doesn't. I hear this all the time. I'm a good person doing the best that I can. When I try to share my faith with, faith with somebody, they say, man, I, I, I'm a good person. God, God surely, he, he knows my struggles, and I, I'm doing the very best that I can. God, God, will love, God loves me, right? They'll say something, I try to treat everyone right. I had a great conversation going back to India. I had a great conversation with a man and a woman who were, both grew up there in India. We're, we're working for a tech company, knew English very well. So we had a, we had a, a fun conversation at a coffee shop. They were one of the very few that knew English. And here, here was her statement. I try to do right to everybody I come in contact with. And I asked her, I said, well, what is right? And she goes, well, I get to choose that. No lie. I get to choose what's right. And I said, well, what if, what if your right's different from my right? And she said, well, that's okay. You're right. If, that, if it's right for you, then that's okay. And do you see how crazy that can get? Just that subjective truth that I have the ability to choose what is right for me. But listen, these were good people. They dressed nice. They looked nice. They were at a coffee shop. So that's like one check, right? I mean, God's going to love them, right? Because they're at a... They were very kind and gracious to have a conversation with us. But morality doesn't equate to Christianity. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 reminds us this, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. The nicest, most moral, upright, upstanding citizen. Scripture says there is no one righteous, not even one. We must be born again. We must give our life to Jesus Christ. We must surrender our life to Jesus Christ. Allow His blood to cleanse us and to purify us from all of our unrighteousness. Our third sacred cow that we find in the 21st century is you hear this, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I go to, and they name a certain church. We have our temples. I go to church. Listen, I go to church is not a sufficient answer for are you a Christian? 
You can go to church and still be lost. Listen, going to church is, is great, but it doesn't make you a Christian. I love what, I love what Billy Graham says. Billy Graham says, said this, that, that, that just because you're in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Or my buddy Shane Pruitt, he kind of he uh, brought it to the 21st century. Just because you're standing in a Taco Bell doesn't make you a chalupa. Just, just because you're in church, it doesn't make you a Christian. But many people believe, man, if I just go to church, man, going to church is great. We should go to church. We should have a desire to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ. Have our sins uh, be, be confronted by our sins by the Word of God. Have, be able to lay our sins down at the altar. Be encouraged by brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ. But simply going to church is not going to be a sufficient answer when we stand before God. And God says to us, depart from me, for I never knew you. you we can't say, but, but God, I went to church. Depart from me, for I never knew you. Listen, the church should be full every Sunday. But the church being full every Sunday doesn't mean that it's full of Christians. We must repent. We must give our life to Jesus Christ. We must be born again. And Stephen, get this, Stephen wanted to make sure that no one misses his point. Now listen, listen to what happened. I, like everything that he has been saying up to this point just is like, like factual. It doesn't seem like there's just a whole lot of emotion. But I don't know if at this point Stephen knows this is my last breath and I better get it all out. Look at what he says in verse 51. As he's standing before the court, look at what he says. You stiff-necked people. Let me, if you... That, that's, not a, uh, that's not a kind word, right? It's probably not going to go well for him. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. Look at what he says. He changes. He goes from our ancestors, our fathers, our race, to your ancestors. Now he's saying, listen, you are children of the devil, just like your ancestors who killed the prophets. This is exactly what you have done to Jesus Christ. Verse 52, which of the prophets did your ancestors, now there it is again, your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels <clears throat> and yet have not kept it. How did the law come? It came to Moses through the angel, who some say was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And here he is saying, you received the law from Jesus Christ and you are not keeping Stephen has become a bit boisterous, but rightfully so. He knows he is standing in front of 70 to 100 people who, if they don't repent, will spend eternity in hell. And he becomes passionate. He, he knows that he is more than likely going to die. And he is willing to lay his life down. Who does that sound like? Like Jesus Christ. He is willing to lay his life down to get the message out that if you don't repent, you will spend eternity in hell. See, he's, he has already died to himself. And he wants these that he is speaking in front of to repent. Now. The rest of the text, 
They kind of tumble over each other. It, 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 it becomes a heated succession, kind of boiling emotions, if you will. And in the midst of this horror about what, what, about what is about to take place, God teaches us three valuable lessons. Let me give you these really, really quick. Three quick takeaways is this. Number one, when confronted with sin, when confronted with sin, religious are enraged, not receptive. Let me say that again. When confronted with sin, religious are enraged, not receptive. Let that be a cue. When you lovingly talk to someone about the gospel and you bring up sin and when they get enraged, let it be a cue. And passionately, passionately continue to share the gospel with them. Look at verses 57 and 58. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. <clears throat> and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here's the introduction of Saul, who later on we will find out who is Paul. Here's the second takeaway. When death is near, the Lord offers courage, not necessarily escape. When death is near, God gives us courage, not always escape. And it's the Lord's courage that allowed Stephen to accept his death. Before Stephen was stoned, Luke tells us this. Look at verses 55 and 60, 56. Back up just a little bit. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven... Look at what he says. He saw the glory of God. Back up 2,000 years. The same glory of God that revealed Himself to Abraham. The same glory of God that revealed Himself to Joseph. The same glory of God that revealed Himself to Moses at the burning bush. Now Stephen is being able to see. He saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, he said, look. I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man. Notice, this is so different than the rest of Scripture. Most times, Scripture says this, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And here's Stephen. He's looking up into heaven. He says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In this vision, Stephen sees Jesus standing as if to say this, come on home. Stephen, you've done what I've called you to do. Short life, but you've been obedient. Come on home. Notice the grace. Remember it says Stephen was a man full of grace. Full of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 60. Here he is being stoned. He's about to die. It says this, he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Who's that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? The same phrase that Jesus uttered, one of his last words from the cross was, Father, forgive them, but they know not what they do. Oh, Stephen, he wanted these, his own people, Jews. 
He wanted them to trust that Jesus was the Messiah. To, to, to unlock their eyes from the sacred cows, that belief. Their, their, their stomach wanted it, but their, their mind just couldn't get there. And Stephen was so passionately trying to get there. And at the end, after he knew that it was all over, and as, he's, as he is being stoned to death, he cries out one last time, Oh God, forgive them. Forgive their sin. Don't hold this against them. What incredible grace. And here's the last takeaway. When separated from this life, the Christian is welcomed home, not rejected. A lot of times people, a lot of people fear death. But here's what I want you to know. Death for the Christian is the door we walk through into eternity with God in heaven. It's, it's the door. Do you think, you think when Stephen got to heaven, he's, he's kind of bruised up and he's sore and he's bent over from the rocks? No, no, no. Listen, Stephen has a new body. He's worshiping the God that he had just preached all of the Old Testament. He'd just gone through the entire Old Testament. And now he's standing at the foot of Jesus Christ worshiping Him. Oh, man. Oh, man. May we, may our eyes be opened to the sacred cows that maybe we wouldn't verbally say, but we're practically living out. And, and if, we've been bought, if we've been buying into one of those sacred cows, the 21st century sacred cows, may today be the end. May we lay it down today. Listen, if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Do so today. You must. Jesus Christ is the way. The only way. He is the truth. He is the only truth. And He is life. He is the only way to eternity with God in heaven. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, do so today. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.